Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of Self-Storage Income. This, we, so, all right, I got to break this down for you because we have not had this discussion on our YouTube channel or on the podcast because it is a very, very big topic and uh, it needs to be talked about. And that is development. It is also one of the things that is the most talked about, requested. It's what we're hearing people ask a lot about. Where, when, how, how, why, on and on and on. Um, The reason why I got to break this down, I feel like, you know, I got to make a little precursor here. Development has so many variables um, that we are not going to hit them all in this podcast. We are going to do, I think you view this as the first, the overview. Now we're obviously going to get into meat and the important stuff. But I I just want you to be aware, you may listen to it and when you get done, think, well, you didn't discuss that. And you're right, there's a lot of things that we're going to hit on. So this will be a part of a series, um, but... This is a good one. This is a fun one. This is um, a big, big topic. It's a way to make mass amount of wealth. Um, and if you do it right, it can really propel you forward. So with that, let's get started. I've got my trusted co-host here. What's How you doing, up? Connor? Doing good, man. Doing good. You know, just rock and roll and excited to dive into it. Like you said, uh, this is a highly requested topic of discussion so excited to jump into it and uh you know get after it and two it's an interesting topic because we see a lot of things so we've done everything from ground up and by ground up i mean just bare empty field nothing there right absolutely nothing turn it into a facility but two some of the projects like the one that we have now i i would almost consider that a development too from certain standards we had to work through all the permitting go through the city and we tore down the vast majority of all the facility all the buildings everything and started from bare ground and had to build up and then two we've done conversions which was nothing it was a box and we turned that into a storage facility and that too is a development right it was just an empty box so um we repurposed one asset into another. So when a lot of these conversations and these these points we're going to hit, it, they are encompassing of the three. But for this one in general, I think we're going to focus on the ground up on this conversation. I think that's a good place to start. For sure. Yeah. Um, another one, we can talk about the actual conversions and go into that. But for the ground up, um, a lot of people, I think the first question is, should I do it? Right. They're looking at it saying, should I buy or build? And this is, this is different for everyone. Right. 
it is under my opinion. I would always rather buy. But I want to buy at a certain levels. Um, and in certain markets, that is by far not the better way to go. In fact, that's, that's um, much worse off than developing. So we're okay developing and adjusting, but we're not developers, okay? Um, and you need to know that. I, we are storage people, storage building, things like that. I run, I operate, I buy, I convert, I develop, um, but I don't go out to develop for the sake of developing. Just wherever the opportunity is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so when I'm looking for opportunity, I guess that, that's what would approach it, if I should buy or develop. Right now, as we speak, development is extremely attractive. And I guess we can talk about what makes development attractive. Um, in this industry, I think development, when, when we're talking about investing alone, development makes sense when prices have gone up so much that you're developing at under replacement cost um, or acquisition cost, which right now for a lot of people is the case, although development costs have skyrocketed with land, and that is they're closely mirroring each other. So you need to get a spread from that development cost. So if I go into a market and facilities are selling at $100 a square foot and I can develop for $90 a square foot, should I? Is that worth the risk? I don't know. Me, probably not. Um, I'd want to be building at $60 a square foot. And so those are the first things. I'm looking at if I'm developing versus buying, there is a premium that I will pay for existing cash flow, existing revenue on an existing asset that I can see the performance because it's safety, right? If there's a downturn, my investment is going to be hit a lot less harder than a facility that's not full. Um, and two, then, I also look at my ability or capabilities in an area. So if I'm looking at an area and I'm looking at a development, I look then at the projections. What is the demand? So you have, I think, your first part of the decision is the actual investment cost structure of the deal. What am I building? What's the cost per square foot? What am I buying at the land, land on? So what's the overall price per square foot that goes into this? And then what are things currently selling for and what are the valuations? So what is the spread? Um, uh, some markets, that spread is massive, so it makes no sense to buy. Others, it's not. Um, now there is another, uh, uh, so then you go into the second one, and that would be the operations opportunity. So that, that is that demand is so high or that there are such poor assets in the market that I couldn't buy anything that I really wanted. And if I did, I'd be buying it at a low price and I'd have to put so much money into it, I might as well build my own. So operationally speaking, how, am I going to fill up so fast and at such a great price that it doesn't, doesn't matter? Can I build unit types and products that don't currently exist, right? There's opportunity in the operations. Then third, I would look at um, the what the opportunities in the markets just don't exist, period. So there are some markets you may really, really want to be in a market, but there's nothing to buy. Well, if you have decided that for whatever reason, based upon 
something you know, economics of the area, growth, on and on and on, that this is an asset class in this market you really want to be in, but there's nothing to buy, then development is your way of going about it. That's your opportunity. Uh, so those are the three things that I look at. Um, and when we go into markets, the most important thing that we look at when developing is the competition. So we have this operational side and we have, and you have, I guess when you're looking at all three, the one thing, these are decisions that you're making, right? Um, but probably the most important thing that will affect that development is the decisions that other people are making. And that's where I see most developments fail or do poorly. Um, we bought a few that didn't perform well and sold to us at pennies, literally on the dollar. They couldn't fill up, whatever the case may be. Um, and we can talk about that too, what makes a development fail. So I, d developing to me is an art right, and a science. It, it really is both mirrored in. Um, some comes with experience and some the development strategy is so obvious like experiment experience doesn't really need to meet. Now, if I'm coming into a market though where lots of people are building, the square footage is going through the roof and I am not have a clear strategy defined that is just blaringly obvious, that can be a ticking time bomb. Right? Will it be? I don't know, but the odds are not in your favor. Because recessions always happen, and when they will, when they do happen, if that is before you're filled up and there's all this other um, inventory coming on the market, you're going to get caught with the bag in your hand. And that's going to be a bad place to be. For sure. For sure. So I think the after, when you look at the markets in general, let's go back to these three things. I want to talk about what makes a good market. A lot of people, I think, think that's obvious, right? But it's actually, I, <laughs> I guess a lot of people may think it's obvious, but then I find people that are developing and they say, oh, it's obvious. And I'm like, well, must be obvious to you because I would never develop here in a million years. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So, exactly. Well, it's, it's funny too because sometimes some of that stuff in regards to any market is, is so, like it makes so much sense, but people act emotionally instead of logically to that market. And even though it makes sense, people are like when, when everything's tanking, everybody's selling like crazy yeah. instead of buying like crazy, you right. know, like you're, you're absolutely right. It's they, we have so markets interesting. We see markets that are overbuilt. And when you ask people why they're building, the response we get is I own the land, which is always interesting to me. Cause I'm like, <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? That's the only reason. And uh, yeah. basically, they said, I own the land, wanted to figure out what to do with it, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to deal with toilets, so I built a storage facility. Like, that is the worst plan I've ever heard in my life. You give them a card right after that, right? Exactly, so. exactly. <laughs> I'm like, hey, when you so finish up, give me a call. <laughs> um, and the reason being is that has nothing to to do with your consumer and everything to do with you. So the, you're not thinking about the customer. You're not looking at demand. You're not looking at price per square foot. You're not looking at a return on your investment. Basically, the opportunity is that there's land sitting there. And that has to do with you. It doesn't have to do with the market or the outcome that that'll generate. But that is a huge reason people build. Um, 
this is an emotional reason being in a market. I live here. We hear that a lot. I live in this market, so I wanted to develop. Now, while part of that is true, okay, part of that makes a lot of sense because you're developing somewhere where you can keep a close eye on it, operationally speaking, and two, you may understand that market better. But I, I would never, ever develop in a location that was overbuilt because it was close to me because there's nothing you can do to, f- to fight against a bad market. There's nothing you can do to change an overbuilt market. So who cares if you're living there? If you're living there, but you know s- the uh, average square foot per capita is soared over 15 you know, feet per capita and occupancies across the board are under 80%, Nobody cares that you live there. That it, it's just mm-hmm. irrelevant. So, do I, you want to touch real quick on yeah. why it's so hard for facilities to compete, like new built ones, with other facilities that have been there? Yeah, and things like that in no, an overbuilt, and like a, exactly like what we're living in right now here in the Boise area. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we are in markets across four different states. We have some markets that are just tremendous. We're building in them. Um, they're awesome. We're growing in more markets, and we have uh, um, some markets that we want to expand into everything. But one market that we have some assets in, which we um, – I'll, I'll talk about what we bought and what's going on right now. But a lot of times, Boise is an economic island. Okay, So we are the most isolated metropolitan area in the United States. It's seven hours to the next city, right? in all directions, if not more. That's the closest city to us. And in between that is teeny towns or wilderness. There's just nothing out here, right? Um, But Boise is exploding in growth, okay? So people are moving here from California, Seattle, um, Arizona, and other places like crazy. So it's got a lot of hype. It's always hitting the Forbes top 100 list. Um, And what has happened is that there's cheap land because it still tends to be fairly rural and the price per square foot to build storage is generally cheaper than other asset classes like commercial or apartments. So there's been a flood of people that are building self-storage because it was easier and cheaper than alternative investments. Um, And two, they saw other people in the market that had done very well with it and they wanted to replicate that strategy. Another flaw with this market um, that was very apparent um, was the average facility here is like almost 200,000 square feet. So they build 450,000 square foot facilities here. They're just monstrosities. They're just enormous. The reason being is land is cheap, so we just might as well build more. Um, And then they will put these facilities side by side. So they'll build multiple of them. it's, It's a market that hosts... 500,000 or less people, but there's a storage facility coming up on every corner, and there's other markets like that. But the reason it is is because of this emotional ploy. And two, uh, there's an emotional side for the residents that live here to build, and then the outside people that are building here, they are caught up by a booming market. And this, both of those things are very, very dangerous. So people are like, well, Boise is always going to grow. And they're like, this, this wave of people, you know, in 10 years, it's going to double in size, right? Well, 
That's what people said in 2005. Boise was one of the hardest hit markets in the United States um, because when it goes up, it goes up really high. And when it goes down, it it implodes. And uh, it's a second-tier market. We're, we're boom and bust. So we're fueled by cheap land, lots of money, and we typically here purchase more storage facilities than average. And there's space still to do it. It's arised in a mass boom. In fact, one of the cities, the sit, uh, one of the cities in the area, had to put a moratorium and stop storage facilities to being built. And the Wall Street Journal actually made uh, and had them in their story about this. For all of you that have read the Wall Street Journal article on self-storage that came out last week or a couple of days ago, um, they talk about this. And they talk about the boom in self-storage and how some markets are looking like they're in trouble. And they, this was one of the markets they talked about. And so what they the referenced city did, Boise. Yeah, they referenced wow. uh, Boise, Nampa in particular, Nampa. because Nampa, gotcha. which is just the suburb of Boise. Um, but they, in order to get, there was so much being built, they were having requests um, for uh, building permits daily. Daily. Now, people say, well, that's not a big deal. Let me give you an idea. There's 60,000 people in the city, right? 60,000, or is it less than 60,000 people in Nampa now? In Nampa? I have no idea. It's I'll like to look it up. 60, 70,000 people, I Let think. Let me jump right on there. the interwebs. But they have a million square feet coming on. They just had a million, and the, and the square foot per capita there is already at um, somewhere over 13,000. Uh, 13 square feet per capita. On top of that, their average um, uh, revenue per square foot a month there is something like 50 cents. So the cities didn't know what to do with all this development. And they're, they're still not sure. So they're just like, everybody stop. We have to stop this mass building because the residents, it was getting so bad, the residents were calling up the city and saying, why are you building facilities everywhere? Mm -hmm. um, it was It's an absolute perfect uh, example of an overbuilt market. Um, occupancies are dropping. Revenues have gone down by 20%, yet people are still building. So it's a perfect example of a hype. Now, everybody listening to this may go, oh, this is crazy and this is horrible. Okay, hold on, because there's tons of markets that are completely opposite, and I'm going to talk about those in a minute. So right now we're talking about markets to avoid. I'm going to get into the markets to go into, which I'm trying to get into now. We're trying to do a massive development um, now in some markets, and I'm going to tell you all about those and the great opportunity. So this is the thing, though. A lot of people in Boise don't want to go to those markets. They want to do it here, um, and a lot of them are chasing a pipe dream. They got the easy financing, and they got friends and family to give them enough money to get the financing done. Um, yes, obviously, banks are now starting to cut back. Now everybody's starting to get a little nervous. But the pipeline is so huge, it'll be years. Although it's not catastrophic, it's not like we're seeing bankruptcies or anything like they're starting to see um, in Texas and some of the markets. Um, if we had a recession today, this market would be obliterated. Um, oh, there's no, no two ways about yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's, so when you look at this market and someone trying to develop, and then you ask yourself, why are people developing it? This is what you want to avoid. You want to avoid this. Now, the reason, though, people are developing is because the market is a good market, right? I mean, home prices are rising. 
Uh, people are moving in. The economics of the Boise area are phenomenal. Apartments going up everywhere. Everywhere. Tons of people move in. Tons. Yeah. It's just businesses are coming in all over the place. They're building. It's a wonderful market. Great long-term growth. Uh, we have four assets here, but we were buying these assets on, yeah, I mean, it, three years ago, we were building an 80,000 square feet at three point, uh, four years ago at 3.5 million, which the same size facility today, they're building at 9 million and they don't get any different in, in, in rates, right? We're at the top of the market. So we are the price leaders in our market. Um, and because of the mass amount of storage, prices here are extremely low. When you're talking 60, 65 cents a square foot is the top of a market where we have other markets that we're in currently, or we just developed, we're at a buck 50 a square foot, but literally three times what we are in there. And the building costs are the exact same. So things to avoid my first and foremost, and I don't know if you've got it yet, but if you haven't, this is so important competition because you can't stop the stupid people from doing stupid things. It has, you just can't. So you want to be in a healthy market. So look at the competition, how you do this. You go down to the city, you pull, you look and see what permits have been pulled. Um, what's in the pipeline. Talk with the city. First rule. If you are going to develop to find a good market, you need to be best friends with the city. You need to know what's going on. You need to understand what's in the pipeline. The next people you need to be best friends with, get involved in the local associations. SSA um, has their statewide association. Start calling owners. Those people want healthy growth, right? In storage, you know, a rising tide rides all ships. But when that tide drops, we all fall. So we want it to be good, healthy growth, rising um, revenues, on and on and on. So go into a market and what you're looking for is markets that have stable population growth. They have a diversity of economic growth. And when I say that, don't go to a market where the lumber mill is the only employer because when it lays off 50%, you know, it's going to be devastating to your business and there's nothing. So you want a good mix and diverse, um, economic drivers that produce, um, good, steady growth, hiring, Population growth in that city needs to be rising every single year. Um, I prefer to stay out of the booms. Um, I want consistency. And then you look at the average um, um, consumption of, of, uh, of storage in that market. Now, this is something I'm terribly against. A lot of people say, listen, if it's above eight bucks or eight, eight square feet per capita, the market's overbuilt. That's just not true. We are in markets that are over 15 um, square feet per capita. Not only are they good, they're our highest markets we have. Um, now, with that said, there are markets that are nine square feet per capita that I wouldn't touch. Um, so that is all over the board. And I know people want rules. And I know you're asking, well, give, give me the guidelines. What's the income? What's the growth rate? What is the uh, cost to build? And what is the average um, you know, uh, 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 storage, f um, square foot per capita. Give me the formula. That's where this art comes in. So as the formula piece, you need growth markets, you need 
costs to purchase acquire facilities that are much higher than building and you need revenues that will produce uh, per square foot revenues on existing facilities that you can see that are maxed out that need room right so there's massive demand and those revenues will uh, generate a great return on that price I know that sounds simple but it's really hard to find a Goldilocks place because you want a good growing market, but you don't want to boom in competition. So there's sub markets tend to be great markets and or two, you have lots of markets in California that it's really hard to develop. So if you can, if you can actually develop there, it's gold, right? Because it's so difficult to do. Um, but that's what I look at. This is, we could probably be a whole podcast on this one subject because it's super important. But when choosing a market to develop, really, competition is first. Then you need to look at the health of the marketplace. Then you need to start looking at what you're going to build. Now, what cost per square foot you should be in when you build, that is dependent on the revenue you can receive from the asset. Okay? So, if you're building at $100 a square foot and you're getting 60 cents a square foot a month, it's not going to be a great investment, right? No so way. When we move to <laughs> other areas like we are, we're building at $65 a square foot and we're getting a buck 50 a month a square foot. That is a fabulous return. In fact, we're financing out one right now that we are a year and a half into it. Not only are we pulling all our initial capital out, we're pulling out an extra million dollars out of it, and the thing is going to cash flow amazingly, right? So there is incredible markets to develop in that you can not only develop, you can develop, fill it up within a year, refinance, pull all your investment out, get it if you want to get it, do a CMBS loan, get a non-recourse. Now you have an investment that will is non-recourse, will pay you for life, and you take your money and go out and do it again, right? This is how the velocity of money is what I'm talking about here. This is how you catapult wealth and income and grow it. And development can just, just absolutely skyrocket you. I mean, it has that potential. The developments that we have done have been home runs. We're literally looking at a picture of a facility that we developed um, once again, we developed it, raw land. Um, the It was right before building costs skyrocketed and everything. We were in it at 36 bucks. Replacement costs alone are over double what it was just a few years ago. Um, 36 bucks per square foot. Yeah, to 36 be bucks yeah. a square foot, um, which is insane to think about right now. I mean, it's just that blows <laughs> my mind, right? That is it's just insanity. Nuts. And. Um, you know, we built it for 3.6. We could sell it 10 plus mil all day long without even a, a, a problem. You know, three years, that's a pretty good return on your $800,000. I mean, whatever that is, $2 million a year. So that is something you aren't going to have a hard time doing if you're purchasing it. So development is a great strategy. We like to do it as a sideline. And I think if you're in the self-storage business now, this is the other thing about development I think we need to be very clear about. There are different types of investors, different types of models. Some people are actually in the storage business. They operate, they own, they buy. Other ones, this is a side thing, right? This is an off investment. Maybe you're diversifying. Maybe you're going to build and have a third-party management. You don't want to do anything with the operations, right? All these things will play into how you develop, what you develop, because you need to pick the partners that you're going to work with, you need to pick the area that you're going to do and how competitive that is, how hands-on you are going to be, who's operating the facility. These all need to be 
thought of and decided before you build. So if you are an operator that has never done storage, but now you really want to get into it, which is awesome. Let's do it, right? I'm all about it. That's what this podcast is about. And you're going to develop, okay, who are your competitors? What is your competitive advantage in the marketplace? And come on, everybody. Let's, this is a come to Jesus moment. Let's, let's say it. Is there one? Be honest with yourself. Do you have one? Or if you're competing with public extra space and all the REITs and some of the biggest operators in the world all around you on your block, you may want to go to another market, right? Um, we've been very aware with this. We have, you know, it's crazy in this industry, but in this industry, we're in the top 1% or less of all storage, you know, developers uh, or builders and owners in the world. And we look and I get nervous about going into those markets. I'm, I'm very aware of my competitive advantage and where I need to go. So for me, I operate differently. Now, that's totally different. If you're in Southern California and you have the opportunity to build and you know the builders and the right people, right, it's a different game, okay? You're going to get extra space to operate it and manage it. Well, then it may not matter. So understanding your competitive advantage and how you're going to get there is extremely important when you decide your market and your location. And two, don't be afraid to walk away. It, it shouldn't be a one and done. And this has come back to the guy that, oh, well, I had land. It, that shouldn't be the decision maker. You should be looking at multiple spots because you shouldn't be making the decision based upon either what's right in front of you, right? or that it's your only opportunity. Because you could, in lots of cases, if you do own the land, we'll either loan against it or sell the land and go to a market that's better and you're gonna get much better returns. Um, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean it can. If you, that could be your competitive advantage. If you own land that would cost you $3 million to buy and you've inherited it and there's no debt and no cost at all and it costs you 3.5 million to build, well, yeah build it. And you know what I mean? I mean, your competitive advantage is massive because you're at half the cost as long as the market is good and healthy and everything else like that. Because remember, you cannot fight market forces like supply and demand. You just can't do it. Exactly. Exactly. So for those people just starting out, what would you say, personally, just looking at self-storage and everything, I don't think it would be a good idea for people to build for their first facility. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of people asking this question, they're first time owner operators or they're just looking to get into it. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on first time owner operators, um, build or buy. All right. Now this comes back to knowing who you are. So we're going to bring it back here. There's three different kinds of owners and this will make that decision or th three different kinds of properties. Okay. You have pop properties that focus on price. You have properties that focus on location and you have properties that focus on quality. Okay. Let's not over this. If your idea to get into self storage, you're going to build 20 units. You're in a third tier market where all the facilities are completely full and you know there's demands for 20 people to have a unit, in fact, you know half of them, then build. Go for it, right? The cost of land is probably nothing, and your risk is extraordinarily low. Now, if you're an operator that wants to be in, in a bigger asset class, so you have these small, mid-size, and large assets in the small one, but if you're going in and say, no, I want a 65,000-square-foot building, it's going to cost me $8 million. I've never done this before. I've never been in the market we may, you may want to make sure if you're going to do this, you need an operator. 
that can help you. And two, this is important, and I, I want to make this very clear, guys. Economic reasons for doing deals cannot be overlooked. And uh, as an experienced operator, you, you know, before this, um, I did mergers and acquisitions. I've bought businesses, sold businesses. I've worked with over 350 employer employers for a consulting company. Um, you need to remember that the players that you're going to do with, meaning capital partners, um, uh, meaning operation partners, um, banks, advisors, people that you pay to tell you whether it's a uh, to do a feasibility study, you need to understand the economic motives of the information they give you. So if an operator is coming to you and you're saying, hey, do you think this is a good space? I'll have you operate it. And they're getting paid on a gross income and they don't make money if you don't build it. The answer is going to always be yes. Right? And people that start funds, I see this all the time. Right? So, and, and you need to understand if you're investing in fund, these people will get paid on acquisition fees. And acquisition fees can be huge, like 3% of the acquisition cost. So if you're doing a $10 million asset, whether that asset performs or not, they get $300,000. So if you're asking that person, should I buy or build? The answer will always be yes. Always. You bet. Exactly. <laughs> um, look hard at the motives of the people, the third-party managers, your partners, things like that. They need to be in line with yours, okay? And uh, when you're looking to find advisors and things on the location, make sure that if you are doing a feasibility study, which you should do if you're developing, okay? So if you're starting out, you're looking at developing, you're saying, I'm going to develop, I'm going to get a feasibility study. I have seen people do feasibility studies that um, were frankly ridiculous. And then when I looked at the person doing the feasibility study, I was like, oh, yeah, they're um, a real estate firm that has never done storage, right? They probably read some stuff or they probably paid, got something off the Internet and filled it out. Um, you need to do go with a feas uh, somebody that does a feasibility study that um, has not a little – but years of experience. And when I say years of experience, I want them before the recession. And even operators. I, I had a feasibility study done on our development, which obviously I felt, you know, I could have been prideful and been like, there's no way you know more because I own more assets than you do. And I've been in this game on and on and on and on. But I understand that I may be emotionally involved in the property, the location, all these things. So I have this idea. I'm not going to tell them anything. I'm going to say, here's the location. They came out three days, did competitive tracking and analysis. They did, um, you know, the works. They met with builders. And, bid, and then they came back and brought me and said, here's the upside, here's the downside, and whether they thought that they should do it or not. And then that was without ever talking to me. And I could see if my, my, uh, my underwriting on the project was done correctly. They were paid whether or not the results came in how I wanted and that's very important, right? I'm paying you this. You just go do it. Tell me either way. It doesn't matter. You go home. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to get that feedback, and you need to get the right feedback. So when you're talking now how to find builders, when you're talking about when you're going into the market, you say, this is a market I want to be in. There's good upside. 
this is my only option or this is the option I want to take. You've, you're doing your due diligence. The important things you're looking at competition, cost to build, buy the land, and you need to take in all ancillary costs when you're talking about office supplies. You need startup costs. Don't forget, you're not, you need to fill up time, one to three years. Um, you're going with three years. Don't do one year or two years. You need to do three years. Be conservative. Um, because lots, there's lots of projects that took way over three years. To get that up. cushion in there. Uh, get that cushion. How are you going to cash flow through this project? Okay. So look at this. Let's think about this. How are we going to cash flow through this project? Um, and uh, then you need to figure out what those cost controls are. All right. So you need to build these in. So how is your agreements set up with the builder? Right. Is that, are you bidding it out? And that's an actual cost. What are the change orders like? How do change orders work? Um, change orders, if you're a first-time developer, change orders can kill you, absolutely kill you, because the you're bidding it out. The, develop, or the builders are trying to acquire the deal, so they know they need to be the lowest price. You pick them because of the lowest price, and they know it's okay because I'm going to make it up on change orders. Mm -hmm. You know? It's just, that's so common. Well, a perfect example of that would be our, our Hayden facility with uh, the climate control units that were going in and that climate control building that was going in up there. Um, so just to give you some backstory on this, this is the, the facility that AJ was referencing earlier that uh, was almost uh, ground up development because we were pretty much tearing out almost everything. Um, we're putting a new office in, uh, new buildings, all kinds of stuff. Uh, it was it was definitely a project facility, um, but the change orders alone for this uh, this climate control building, it wasn't it wasn't a climate control building on the plans. And then we caught that and we said, no, we want this to be climate control. And they said, oh, okay, gotcha. Well. There's no power going to that building. There's no this, there's no that. So literally, I mean, that change order alone, the, and the difference in materials that you have to use for the climate control and everything else, that's, we're over $100,000 in change orders just on that building you know, there. And two, I think it's a good idea to explain how we got into that position. Um, we were going through architects, and builders like crazy because we were having problems with our partners and um, the the market had heated up so much that they got bigger, better deals, and they basically stopped working on our deal. So this change allowed there to all of a sudden be, well, we didn't know about that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, we ended up getting stuck and it's a huge cost. You know, like you said, it's, it's ginormous. And these are things that can make, that can change a project from being profitable to not. And th that won't be the case with this one, but, um, again, cause you got that cushion, you got that cushion <laughs> exactly. plan for stuff like this. Yeah. Exactly. But it's not something you want to, you want to take on right. now. All this has been talking about how to find location, should you build or not. And I know we're, we're running through things. There's just so much to cover. Um, I want to get into good locations. You've So when you're looking at a location that's primed, everybody is full. 
The price per square foot is rising. Everybody's getting rental agreements. It's a great market, low cost, low barriers of entry. You can build, and also there's no product on the market that's any good. Customer service sucks. You're like, I can come in here, build a great product. I can charge an enormous sum for the price per square foot, which just way outweighs the cost to build. Um, I'll fill up, you know, fast, and it's just, you know, you're just, you're in heaven. This is like, oh, we're just going to make it. Um, that's great. The next thing you need to do is you need to avoid the pitfalls of doing a bad design. So uh, there are storage facilities that we have gone to buy and we couldn't purchase them because of how they were laid out. I mean, we're just like, we can't do this. I can't operate a good facility in how you design this facility. Um, that can kill you on the resale. I mean, you're talking about what may have been a six cap, you got to charge an eight or a nine because that's something people can't fix. I can't fix it once, you know, you've done that without tearing it all down. Right. Right. Or the so cost then, of doing or that the cost is of doing it. just ridiculous. So then yeah. I got to buy it at a nine or a 10 cap because I got to go and do it. Simple things like they put the office inside the building behind the gate. I don't know why people do this. They do it all the time. That means that your facility has to be open all day long for customers to ever get into the office. So you can never lock down the facility and have it totally secure. Um, it, you know, little things like this, you need to look at the flow. I, I see people build and they're trying to maximize per square foot and they build the drive aisle so small people can't get in and out or they're hitting the facility constantly and they're destroying. So CapEx rises. You need to look at the flow. You need to look at it from the customer side. Um, we built a faci facility and one of the things that we did is we built aisles and uh, wide enough to where semis could turn around and, um, get through what that allowed us to do is capitalize on, um, uh, B2B sales, um, business, and we could get, uh, businesses that would come in and they walk in and they're like, I need to buy, you know, 10, 10 by twenties. And they're going to be in there forever. They've been in there for years. And price is irrelevant to them. Um, it's They're operating their business out of it. So we can get those customers that nobody else on the market can get, which can be a massive difference in revenue. And two, we're fuller. And we have less volatility with those types of customers. So understanding the customer that you're trying to get, who they are, and you need to build accordingly. Don't skimp on this. Don't say, oh, I can get 10 extra units in if I build it smaller or if I build it, you know, closer together and then it's a problem. We were looking at that one in Nampa mm -hmm. where you had those five buildings. Yep. I was just long. thinking about that. It was just it was like five by fives or whatever it was. Yeah. You had a ton of them. A ton of them. And you're like, man, I couldn't even rent out of this. You, 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 know, you can't even charge for that. Um, so I see a lot of builders that they maximize the facility on a price per square foot basis. That's how they go into it. It's a builder's mind maximize it on customer experience. So once you're talking about the unit, so unit selection, looking at a demand, remember every single unit has its own supply and demand. They're individual products, right, in the marketplace. So a 10 by 10 and a 5 by 5 is going to be different. We bought a facility that had 200 5 by 5s. The builder built it because it was the greatest return per square foot, better than bigger units. They were at 60% occupied when we bought them. That's the trick. You you have to get people in there. Exactly. <laughs> to exactly. Be paid. So balance this out. And two, another thing that you need to remember is that times change. 
and the wants and needs of the customers change. You go all in on three unit sizes, you could be in big trouble in 10 years. So after you, you're talking the layout, the, the actual tenant uh, picking which unit you want, everything like that, you need to focus on the office. The office needs to be larger. It needs to be inviting. Think retail storefront. When you come in, product services, your manager needs to be open, be able to work with these people. It needs to be a good customer experience. This is one of the most important things. You're paying millions to build this building, trying to get people in there. And then they get in there and they're just like, wow, this is a teeny little room. Um, I don't like this at all. So their perceived value of your facility is less than then they walk in. It's open and spacious. Remember, they buy there. They're buying in the office, right? Um, so you have to think this through. Other things that are really important. And I'm, you know, we're going to hit this topic again, people. I know we're missing tons of things. We're talking you know, um, drive count, location on the roads, you know, how many people, visibility, access in and out. Um, you need to look and work closely with the city on changes that are coming for that area, what side properties are zoned, um, what's coming in in your three-mile radius that will affect your, your demand, not just competition, but also other things. Um, and as far as the road goes, are you blocked from doing right turns is their turn only you know you need to be looking and thinking of, of all these things at a, at a development site that we're looking right now we're going to do a four-story building um we're going right now we're we're doing our initial work to to uh, do our projections on on our the finance side but we're looking at the access and entry points one of the reasons we picked the project is because there's an access on the main road, but two, the back end has a side road that you could actually go through. So customers could access a main road if they want to buy and stuff, but they could utilize the back ex the back back to either leave or then to move stuff in off a main road. So it's nice. a wonderful situation, right? Um, these things are may, may seem small and ins insignificant, but it is the difference of getting the best customers and the highest paying customers. These are all things that need to be thought of. So anyways, I, I know we're going really long and we've been going on this. This is a huge subject. It's a really good subject. I hope this has been helpful. Anything that I need to think of before we wrap this one up, we'll do multiple more segments on it. In fact, we have, uh, we we're doing an interview with a guy that's talking specifically on this. And we're also interviewing builders this is what they do and we're gonna have a whole uh a whole podcast on working with builders coming up um anything else that i need to mention real quick i don't think so i think we covered a lot of really good topics um again if any of you listening to this if you're listening to this and you're like man i just need more clarification i want to know more about x y and z get at us on social media get at us on the self-storage income website leave a comment uh just get at us in any way fashion or form and uh, get us your questions so we can we can talk about them and address them and uh, help you out. And please, guys, if this is helpful, we are shooting to be the top self-storage podcast out there. We're doing good. We're making moves. Give us a five-star rating, guys. Give us a great review. It really helps us out, and that's wonderful feedback. As always, thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.